0: I think the atmosphere is ingrained in me, in my body, in my mind. Just hearing you mention protests and ask me to rethink what it was like. I can feel the heat, I can feel the humidity, I can feel the noise, I can feel the passion of the crowd, the chanting, everything. It's just coming back in my mind.
1: Hello. And welcome to the Art Persists podcast, a new series offering a glimpse into the life of artists and activists from all over the world. In each episode, we feature interviews with artists who share their first-hand experience of using art to stand up to some of the world's most feared dictators and regimes, and individuals working day and night to protect them. My name's Georgia, and in this first episode, we chat to Lady Liberty Hong Kong, a pro-democracy artifice group from Hong Kong formed in the early stages of the 2019 and 2020 Hong Kong protests. The group is committed to rallying Hong Kongers, providing support for protesters and raising international awareness towards Hong Kong's struggle towards democracy.
0: There are two pieces of work that has a profound impact on how I see art or public art or activism, or in generally how I approach creativity.
1: That's Flash speaking. Flash is part of Lady Liberty Hong Kong. Heads up for this interview, we've altered Flash's voice.
0: The first one might sound a little bit cliche. It's the song Glory to Hong Kong. It's a very, very popular and famous song throughout the 2019 protest in Hong Kong. It's been dubbed as the neo or neo national anthem of hong kong obviously it has a certain connotation to the people in it and obviously the government and communist china so it kind of became like a band song in hong kong at the moment but when i first heard this song it was on youtube i saw it was just very basic um with like a piece together music video with like news clipping and all that but the recording and the composition and the song itself was done properly it's kind of like an like an orchestra with a choir going on singing about why are we suffering why are people bleeding what are our hopes what are we hoping to achieve it's it's very at the moment to what's happening in the streets every single day at that time so For me, this is the first time I understand why someone would shed tears when listening to a song or the national anthem. I've never experienced this to God Save the Queen or um, to the Chinese national anthem. Of course, they they both sound great, you know. I, I like them and hate them for different reasons. But it's the first time that I feel like a song can carry what it means to be a person, a group of people, a society. And to this day, I cannot like, hold back myself from dropping a little tear whenever I listen to this song. The second piece of work that has a very strong impact on me. It doesn't actually have a name. It's not even a proper artwork. It's actually a collaboration between André, the French art graffiti artist, and I think it was Visa or MasterCard, either one of those credit card companies. And what happened was they did a live graffiti drawing session in the middle of the street on like a six story tall billboards on the side of a building so they hang this guy andre onto like a platform off the side of a building and he just starts spraying away doing his iconic character with the cross in a circle and a big smiley face character with extremely long legs and arms and he's drawing this piece of work for for the credit card company and it's going to promote that card it's going to stay up there for months and months and months so at that time i was only a teenager and i've heard of graffiti i sort of know what the idea was about but it's the first time i've seen a professional graffiti artist someone who's world-renowned doing a piece of work in front of me. And I just stood there in the streets in the middle of summer of Hong Kong. So it's very humid, it's very hot. And I just stood there for four hours or something. I, I watched a guy from beginning to the end to draw this piece of work. And this has inspired me to take up graffiti or take up street art or and to rethink like why does art has to be on a piece of canvas, in a gallery or in a museum. Like why can't it be more public? So you could say it has made me become a rebel or it has made me more aware and to to perceive art as something the people and the public can be part of and should be part of.
1: Would you say that that graffiti that you saw was kind of an introduction to art activism for you?
0: I wouldn't say that graffiti is an introduction to art activism to me because art activism is such a new thing. It's one could argue it's not even a thing right now even though so many people are doing it but i think for me this ties into how i grew up so when i was a kid when i was a teenager i was sort of i was troubled by life like i was not well i have anxiety issues i have depressions like i was proper full on on mats or else i cannot go to bed you know without waking up in in sweat and tears in the middle of the night every night so what kind of got me out of that phase is a teacher of mine she's kind of like a class teacher and she's an art teacher as well and she introduced me to art not just graffiti not just like street art but also like painting like monet what is impressionism so that kind of got me into a whole new world where you know, she's teaching us like the practice art itself, but at the same time, herself is kind of teaching us how to approach different things, like approach different problems, how to be proactive about things, how to handle failure, how to handle success, how to tackle certain things, and that kind of led me into activism itself. Um, so after after like graduating from that school, I kind of like before university, I join up with. A bunch of random people that I really just met on the streets in a rally, and it introduced me to local politics in Hong Kong. And I was very into that at that moment, you know. It was it was kind of like everyone's talking about it for our generation of people. So that was that was like roughly ten years ago. So ten years later, you know, with those two phases of my life, it's sort of coming together and it became art activism so it's, it's not sort of like a, a one-off introduction it's more like a building up to it
1: and so for you when did the two meet the art and the activism
0: I think the moment would be um, when I saw Alex made a post on the internet forum Lyhkg, and he just said, hey, we want to do this statue with 3D printing and we need designers, we need 3D artists, photographers, or in generally just everyone and anyone who's willing to help. And at that point, I'm like, hey, I'm going onto the streets every single day, but maybe I can do more. So I just added the Telegram channel that's specified in that post joined in, message, start talking to everyone. And that sort of became the moment that I fully stepped into the world of art activism.
1: That's incredible. And I want to talk to you a lot more about what you did with your art activism in a second, but I thought maybe you could first just describe to us what it was like being in the more recent protest in Hong Kong.
0: I think the atmosphere is ingrained in me. In my body, in my mind, just hearing you mention protest and ask me to rethink, what it was like. I can feel the heat. I can feel the humidity. I can feel the noise. I can feel the passion of the crowd, the chanting, everything. It's just coming back in my mind. Um, like I can feel it in my skin. I can feel every every bit of it. But. When people say protest, they often think, like, it's either like, okay, full-on, Molotov cocktail, you know, fighting and clashing with the riot police, or it's going to be like a peaceful rally where people hold up signs and, you know, do dance and chants. They often imagine protests as one or the other. But for me, what happened in Hong Kong during 2019, 2020 was such a massive movement. It encompasses all and everything that you can imagine of. So well, there's there's three ways that I took part in this protest, right? One of them is doing what we do, the project, Lady Liberty Hong Kong, and we do art activism. So that often happens after what happened during the day, like the protests or the rally or whatever. So that, that happens on top of that. And then for the daytime event, as we would call it, uh, it comes into f- two forms. So one of them, it would be a rally where something called, we call it if a like it's people with peaceful protesters come together, do a rally, do a chant, do sing songs, or do whatever, right? Sometimes we would put a figure out there, sometimes we would go on our own accord, uh, sometimes we will go with our own group of friends, and that's usually very traditional, as you would say, right? Because... You know, if you look at what's happening across it's just any demonstrations, like a peaceful demonstrations or rallies, you know, that's what you get. You get a bunch of people sitting there chanting singings and doing it for the entirety of the afternoon or for the duration. And then there comes the so-called clashes. The clashes is something that could happen anytime, anywhere, at any moment. It could happen right next to... A peaceful rally it can happen right after a, a general march and it's so sporadic that you cannot tell where or how it will come into form or where and how it will happen for example it can happen right after a, a peaceful march or right next to a rally just because people feel like gathering there usually towards some place of significance it's just like standing there, you know, doing nothing. They're not like chanting or anything, just standing there on the streets. Sometimes it would happen because some other events have happened and and drawn people to their attention. Maybe it can just sprung up at 2 a.m. at night because maybe some crazy pro-government dude has stabbed someone nearby. And people literally flood out of the house in the middle of the night, driving, riding the bikes, just meeting up randoms that you've never met on the streets, just searching for this guy, right? So that's very random. But usually what you see on the news are the big clashes, right? But what the news doesn't tell you or show you is the heat, the humidity, and the noise. And often, camaraderie between people you've never met and how the streets and alleys sort of became a different place from what you usually know them to be so for example you can you can find smokers corners on on any single scene of clashes when people have like occupied the streets usually if you go into like a dark alley or the smaller side streets two or three streets back away from the front line you you'll find people smoking and you know they are there like because you it's kind of like you've calculated that distance from there to the front line in your mind and you think it's safe and everyone is sort of thinking of the same thing and next to it you would see supply points where people are handing out cling wraps handing out masks handing out water and where people come and like have their injuries treated by first aiders so that's sort of like at the back of the front line right and at the front line, it's usually packed with people. They would be stomping the ground or, or banging some random object in a bead. And it's very humid because it's in Hong Kong. And even though it's at night, you can it feels like it's like 30-something degrees with an 80% to 90% humidity. And sweat is literally piling up into, into a puddle in your mask, in your goggles. Your shirt is completely wet, but... You don't dare to take off any of your protective gear or stuffs you use to cover up your identity, and it is it is there where you really feel connected to the people. They would they would take care of you one another, even if you don't know them. And common objects you see in the streets have taken up a different meaning. So, like trash can can become a barricade, or you know, just to stop the police advance. A random street fence on the pedestrian sidewalk can be taken down and tied into like a triangle and people sort of like just come together they, they look at how this is done and they pick it up and they start doing it they join in and then they push this you know metal barricade made out of pedestrian fence it's a front line street poles became watchtowers people would climb up onto it just to look out a block or two ahead to see if the police are coming if they're gathering Sometimes there would even be people living nearby in in the buildings They would open the window and say hey the police are coming a to a block or two ahead So make sure you move back or they would they would yell at oil which uh, It means uh, don't give up uh, keep on going. It's it's like encouragement to the people downstairs and sometimes you would see the peaceful protester, the war, they would come with, just come here to the front line. They would hand out food, they would hand out equipment, and they don't know you. Like, they just they just give you a full McDonald's meal because they can, you know, and they, and they tell you, like, you know, keep this up. Sorry I can't join you guys. And, like, you can have a 70-year-old lady just giving you encouragement mm-hmm. and, because she can
1: Wow, thank you so much. I mean, you really painted a picture of what it's like to be there. And you, you talk about this solidarity between, you know, strangers, people helping you out and looking after one another. And I wonder if that was also the case when you were part of this monumental moment, which was the erection of the Lady Liberty statue on online rock. Tell me a bit about the process of putting this together and introduce it as well for those who may not know, but also just tell us what it was like putting that up.
0: For those who are not aware, what happened was we, we sort of built this 4-meter tall statue over a week, crowdfunded it, um, crowd-built it, and we toyed around the streets of Hong Kong across different rallies and protests for months, right, for two months uh three months maybe even and then we don't really have a place to put it we, we just sort of like take it out to the streets and rallies from the day and take it back to maybe a university where the student council was giving it as a place to store it or maybe to a warehouse that someone has lent to us but the two or three months we sort of found it too difficult to keep a four meter snow to it in such a high profile way because like getting it out is such a hassle you gotta you gotta arrange for a 5.5 ton truck just so it could fit in there and you have to find somewhere nearby to unload it and load it and you can't run with it right if the police come you just can't run because it's four meters tall so we sort of decided okay this is the moment where we have to finally deal with it and we've had the idea of putting it up online raw before it was built the first Night the team ever got together trying to figure out how we can build this thing. Someone mentioned slightly jokingly just hey, you know, it would be great if we can put it on Lion Rock because it's such an icon for everyone in Hong Kong. And you know, it's it sort of became like an inside joke for the team for two or three months. And then eventually when we decided to do it, we sort of like scouted ahead a few times. We sent someone up the line rock to hike it in the middle of the night, where like it's sort of like during the similar time. Time and conditions where we would do the act itself and then in the end one night in in October where it was stormy we sort of took it away from the university in the dead of night and then we drove on a truck to the bottom line rock, and we started the ascend and halfway through it started to rain and eventually the lightning came as well and the wind picked up so it's a typical tropical weather that you get in a in a tropical place right and then it took us i think three hours to get up to the peak and it took another hour to install the statue we drew bolts into the rock and we we tied the statue to those bolts with cables and the hand holding the flagpole sort of snapped because of the wind just picking up and like just snap it clean in half and there's no way for us to repair it on top of the peak and yeah, it was, it was raining, it was dark, it was stormy, but I think people, our team member, who were going up, there was like a team of like 20 to 30 people, they carried the statue in different pieces, and they were just like playing music along the way, and spirits were very high. If you look at the footage of the recording of them going up, I think you can hear them like playing David Bowie or something. It was truly amazing. <laughs>
1: Wow, what an amazing story. How long did it last up on Lion Rock?
0: That is a mystery. So for the record, we put it up there in the middle of the night. We sort of finished up at around like 4 or 5 a.m. and then we left. Um, The reporters who followed us recorded the entire process and the rest of the media caught wind of it and hurried up to take some footage of it early in the morning. But I said right away, like they, they push him over. I think they kind of snapped the cable as well, but and then they snapped the statue on the ankle so it, it fell, laying on its back, and they sprayed excess with red paint on top of it. So it was vandalized pretty much right away. Then I think after that, during an unknown time, someone tossed the entire thing off a cliff.
1: Off a cliff? Oh my gosh.
0: Of a cliff, yeah, because it's, we're, we're right on the peak. I think it's a few hundred meters, sheer drop of a cliff face right down. And they just tossed the whole thing off pretty much the next day. And then eventually, with the help of some climbing expert, we recovered the statue. We go there again in the middle of the night. We, we search around for, we picked up whatever pieces we can. On the, and I think some of it actually fell 200 meters down the cliff face and those professional climbers rappel down cliff to help us recover those pieces. And yeah, and then we, we took it back with us, and then after maybe six months, we have the chance of exhibit whatever remains in Hong Kong. And before that, the head, the damaged head of the original statue, we ship it to Japan, to Tokyo for an exhibition, and I think it's still there to this day. And that is the only piece that remains of the original statue because everything else we have to destroy the person who's landing us um, the storage space can no longer have it there so that's all that's left just that one head
1: wow that's incredible and thank god that head is out of hong kong and remains i mean it's gonna be a part of history i think and obviously things have changed a lot since then And I wanted to move on to talk about a second work that you have, which is called They Can't Silence Us All. And it's a reaction to the removal of the pillar of shame from the University of Hong Kong in December 2021. Can you tell us a bit about that work, why you've created it? And also if you can compare slightly the feeling of erecting the Lady Liberty on Lion Rock and then creating They Can't Silence Us All.
0: They Can't Silence Us All is a 3D model of the artwork Pillar of Shame by Jan Skalshjot. Um So it doesn't really have a Vista 3D file that we've created. And the reason we did it was because the University of Hong Kong was gonna take down this pillar, Pillar of Shame, which marks um, the great sex by the protesters, in Beijing of nineteen eighty nine, June fourth. And of course, for some it's marking a crime against humanity, and for others is it's just an irritation <laughs> or maybe attempts to overthrow a regime. So Hong Kong, University of Hong Kong's trying to take that down. And it has been a discussion in Hong Kong about it for months, its circulation, circulating rumors and all that. And One of us just kind of have this moment in a crib chat and just say, hey, how about we scan the whole thing and we create a 3D model? And everyone just clicked and say, hey, it's a great idea. Let's do it. And we went out there, we scanned the whole thing with lots of photographs, uh, with drones, with cameras, with phones. And then we have this raw data of, of images where we generate that's called photogrammetry, we generate a basic 3D model from it. And then on top of that, from the details photos that we've gathered, we 3D scalped uh, the remaining details into it. And then we apply the textures, the colors, the shading, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So the whole thing is a highly detailed recreation of the original pillar of shame where the figures, the facial expressions, the tags all of that is replicated in this digital form. So the reason we did it is because for us artists who do very very public work on the streets to the, to you know installing a line rock doing it on the streets, sometimes maybe doing it to, in a gallery where it has to be closed to the people it has become very difficult for us to keep doing what we're doing. So this is sort of like a new of approach where we, we would explore if there are opportunities elsewhere by enabling people everywhere else in the world by archiving what was public, you know, what was part of society, what was part of our identity.
1: Yeah, it's, it's such a fantastic idea. And I guess it's like they can remove the physical, but things can live on and still survive despite them trying to take them down.
0: Yeah, I think a very important part of it is we've always worked with something that's very three-dimensional and we've always released our files to the public where protesters in Hong Kong were called Pin Dai Hoi Fa. It means the flower would blossom everywhere. So when I say enabling, it means we've released all this stuff to people everywhere in the world where they can create their own version they can 3d print their own version they can create adapted work from it it's that's what it means by you know spreading out the flowers
1: it's it's so beautiful and i've seen your mini lady liberty hong kong statues which are all around the world now and um, it's so great to see photos of them literally in all corners of the world and how kind of solidarity and resistance continues through what you do i wanted to talk to you about another project, which is very different, um, The Climbing Reading Club, which is a series of stories introducing concepts of democracy and freedom for the next generation. Tell me about these books. And I guess when I learned about this project, I felt a sense of hopefulness when it comes to the future of art and freedom of expression.
0: I don't know if I feel hopeful about it, because it's sort of a reaction to to what's happening in Hong Kong right now. Obviously, they're trying to rewrite history. Recently, old Beijing camp has started to circulate this idea of Hong Kong was never a colony. Obviously, they're trying to indoctrinate education system in Hong Kong, where pretty much all level of schools have to teach patriotic education. And we're not only talking about primary school secondary school. It's also in university it's it's a non- elective subject in universities in Hong Kong to have patriotic education and obviously in those syllabus a lot of the things are twisted not true a lot of inconvenient facts are omitted a lot of important concepts about being citizen having a civil society is ignored or straight up just, became something that they want us to do it's kind of like brainwashing so at the time of inception for climbing reading club we realized this would happen eventually one way or another so we're partnering up with um a local illustrator or once local illustrator Ato, to came up with a comic series that would introduce people and discuss democratic ideas, civil society, press of freedom, and also incorporate what happens in Hong Kong throughout 2019-2020 into the story as a foundation. So it would serve as a time capsule for those who are present right now, and for those who will come after us, the future generation, it would become a window for them to understand what we're doing right now.
1: When you think about the future generations who won't remember this, how do you think they will remember what happened and the protests?
0: To be honest, I don't know. Um, even the, the upcoming generations that are growing up right now, some of those who took part in the protests have kind of gotten used to the existence of China or how life is dependable on China in a way, like in terms of like entertainment, in terms of like how all the government and businesses are always so concerned about China, like they've never known anything else, right, because they've grown up since the return of Hong Kong to China, and I honestly don't know what they will be in 10 years time, or what the children will think when they have children. But that's why we have this comic series trying to just put out the very, very basic concept of things out there, not necessarily to change people's mind, but just to serve as a seed of inspiration. And that's why it's available online. It's published for free initially uh, until, you know, we, we printed this book as well. So. Maybe we should look back in 20 years' time and hopefully those books that are already circulating in society will do some good to how people think about what's happening with us right now.
1: Thanks to Flash for joining us for today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about Lady Liberty Hong Kong, they are featured in our first scene in Defiance along with the work of six other incredible artists from all over the world. You can get your copy today at bosslerarts.com. You can also find out more about Lady Liberty Hong Kong via their own website provided in the description. Thanks for listening and see you next week.